Well, as a pastor, I find out a lot about what is really happening in people's lives. <laughs> in fact, I would say that uh, probably the local district attorney, the local uh, law enforcement officers, and probably town clerks and pastors probably know about... Now, all of you are kind of getting a little nervous, okay? They don't call and give me reports, okay? <laughs> We probably know as much about anybody's life, real life, as, it, as anybody does. And one thing that uh, struck out to me as sad, as I thought about this a few years ago, was realizing that many times when terrible things come out that have happened in people's lives, when you hear about how people have been participating in some secret uh, bad activity in their lives for years... I begin to realize that right now, there are some things going on that are very destructive, and yet none of us knows about it yet. Let me give you some examples. Right now, a husband is looking at pornography, but his wife doesn't know it yet. She doesn't know about it yet. She'll know about it in, in about six months or about a year, something will happen, and she's going to find out. Right now, a child is experimenting with drugs or maybe sexual activity. But right now, that young lady or that young man, his or her parents, they don't know about it yet. But eventually, something's going to happen, and that's going to come out. Right now, there is a worker, somebody who's going to a job every day, and that person is embezzling money from their company. And right now, we don't know about it. Right now, their boss doesn't know about it. But right now, that's happening right now. And it's going to come out eventually. And I sometimes think to myself, it's too bad if right now we couldn't find out about it. Amen? If right now, before it's too late, if, if we could find out about that, if we could help that person before they get too far and before they ruin their lives or their family or their career. It may not be the easiest topic to talk about, but tonight we're beginning a new series that really is devoted to these kind of topics. We're talking about the hardest things to give to God. And the first one that we want to talk about and think about tonight is some of the hardest things for us to give to God are what I'm going to call secret sins. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. We want to talk about secret sins are some of the hardest things that we give to God. And the first thing I want you to realize is this. To some degree or another, we all have secret sins. Write that down. Every single one of us have secret sins. Now, let me just first clarify what we're talking about. When we're talking about secret sins, we're talking about that every one of us have things in our lives that are not God's will for us. That's sin, okay? That's sin at its most basic definition. Whenever there's something in our life that it's either God wanted us to do something and we did something else, or God didn't want us to do something, but we did it anyway, anything in our lives that is not God's will for us, that is sin. And what we're talking about here is there are probably some things in all of our lives that are in that category that nobody else knows about. Or that maybe not many people know about. And by implication, we're talking about secret sins, we're talking about something that's ongoing. Something that maybe you or I have continued to struggle with over time. Maybe even for years. Don't we all have things like that? 
Don't we have struggles that we, that we face, that, that there's things in our lives that, that maybe nobody else knows about and we continue to struggle with on an ongoing basis? Well, I want to start out tonight by reading from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. In Hebrews 12, verse 1, the Bible says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses... Now, what's happened there is in chapter 11, he's talked about all these great people of faith that have come before us. He says, Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, going before us, in light of that, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Now, in this passage in Hebrews 12, some Christians are being challenged to stay the course. They're being challenged that sometimes it's hard to follow Jesus. They're being challenged to stay strong and to run the race and to be the Christian that God's called them to be. And part of that, the, what's being written here is God's directed them. He said, part of that is laying aside some extra weight in your life. And we're not really going to dig into that as much tonight, but anybody like to do hiking? Okay, you like to hike in the Adirondacks? Okay, nobody here likes to hike. Okay, raise your hand, that helps the pastor. Okay, I see, I see that hand, I see that. Okay, if you like to hike, most people who are really serious about hiking, they think about what they're going to carry, right? They, they think about how much weight, what's a necessity, and what's not a necessity. So in this passage, he's saying, listen, in your walk, don't have extra weight. Don't have things that aren't necessarily bad, but aren't good for, for the journey. But the part we're focusing on is, he says, also, you need to lay aside the sin which so easily entangles us. Now, what we're focusing on in this verse is that word entangles. That word is actually kind of a multi-compound word, and here's what it means. It means literally to stand around something and to do a good job of it. You say, Pastor Robert, what does that mean? Basically, it means to entangle or to trip up, okay? If you're trying to walk and somebody, anybody ever got up in the middle of the night and your cat won't move, okay? Anybody ever had that happen? Okay, my cat, I have to shuffle my feet because I've actually stepped on my cat before because it literally refuses to move. Anybody ever had that happen? Well, that's kind of what's happening, to stand around something and to do a good job of it. My cat does that. He stands right in my way, and I either have to walk over him or walk around him because he ain't moving. That's the picture in these verses. It's talking about to trip someone up, to prevent someone from moving forward, an obstacle or a distraction, and it has the idea of something that kind of continues on a continual basis. Now, some Bible teachers believe this is talking about sin in general. But because of the continuing aspect, others other Bible teachers believe this is actually specifically, this is possibly referring to specific sin in our lives. And some of you, uh, some of you maybe grew up reading the King James Version of the Bible. Maybe some of you still use that. The word here actually says the sin that so easily what? Besets us, okay? And so actually some Christians have used this term of a besetting sin, okay? And so what they're talking about is there's some sin in my life that continues to sort of you know, sort of harass me or sort of trip me up in my life. Certainly, our experience shows it. And the Bible seems to indicate here and elsewhere that we are all different, we're all unique, and we all have certain things that we have a propensity to struggle with. Isn't that true? Did you hear what I said? 
We all are different. You're not like me. And we all have weaknesses. We all have chinks in our armor. We all have things that kind of, you know, I'm strong in some areas, but I'm not strong in other areas. Amen? Okay? And that's kind of what this is talking about. We have tender spots, places in our armor that we're not as strong as others. And again, as I said many times, those are things that nobody else knows about. We all have some secret sins. But I want to talk about what they do to us. As we consider that in our lives, that there are some things that we continually struggle with. Somebody might say this. Somebody might say, Pastor Robbie, what's the big deal? Does God expect me to be perfect? I mean, everybody has vices, right? Everybody has shortcomings. Everybody has things that they struggle with. Some of the other excuses that we might use is, you know what, I'm not even sure that this thing that I struggle with is so wrong anyway. By the way, that's called what? Denial or rationalization, right? I'm not so sure this thing that I struggle with. Or somebody might say, hey, get with the program, Pastor Robbie. Everybody's doing what I'm doing. I mean, what world are you living in? You're living in the 1950s. You're living in way, way far back. Everybody's doing this. Why are you picking on me and what I'm doing? Or somebody else might say, you know what? I don't really think this particular thing that I'm choosing to do is really hurting anybody else. What's the big deal? Nobody else even knows about it. I want to look at some of those excuses tonight. What do having secret sins... Remember what we're talking about. There are things in my life that God says are not His purpose for me that continually seem to be things that I struggle with and some of the excuses that we come up with. First of all, I said somebody might say, I'm not so sure that sin is really that big of a deal. Doesn't everybody have vices? That might be something that you would say tonight. Okay, well, I'll give you this. Nobody in this room is going to be perfect. Amen? I mean, the Bible says in 1 John 1, verse 8, and I think a couple of verses down in verse 10, that if we say we're not a sinner, we're a liar, and the truth's not in us, okay? So all of us are going to sin. That is absolutely true. At some point, we're going to make that decision. But for us to say, what's the big deal with sin, is kind of like saying, there's two problems with that. It's kind of like saying, hey, um, I call up an exterminator, or I call up a pest control kind of person, and I say, hey, I saw five rattlesnakes in my house. Could you get them all out? The person says, great news, Pastor Robbie. We got four of them. Okay, I might be okay with that. But I guarantee you Shannon ain't going to be okay with that. Okay, four out of five ain't doing it, amen? Okay, that's kind of like saying, hey, what's the big deal? I'm holding on to one venomous thing in my life. What's the big deal? I got rid of the other four. You know, and also it kind of it reminds me of Adam and Eve a little bit. And, and it kind of it makes me think, you know, we're... We're being foolish, even more foolish than they were. If you think about Adam and Eve, okay? Now, just think about where they were. They're in the garden. God says to them, I've created this whole universe. I've created this wonderful creation. And you can enjoy it all. Everything. Have at it. Be blessed. There's just one thing. That's all. That's the only limitation. And you know what? They had to trust God's word on that because they had never seen the effect of sin. Have you ever thought about that? 
Adam and Eve completely had to trust that God was telling them the truth and that his word was really right because they had never seen when somebody does wrong, here's the problems that come. Have you ever thought about that? Okay, so actually, when we're making that decision, what we're saying is we've had thousands of years of seeing the effects of those wrong decisions. Have you ever thought to yourself, man, Adam and Eve, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for making that choice, right? I wish I could go back and I wouldn't have chosen that. But yet here we are continuing to make that same kind of decision when we have a lot more evidence than they did. Seems kind of silly, doesn't it? Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The Bible, friends, says very clearly, the wages of sin is death. It brings hurt. It brings destruction into our life. No matter how you slice it, sin brings death. And I want to give you just one example of, 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 of sin. And I want to give you one that is one that many people struggle with in this area of secret sin. Let's talk about uh, Proverbs chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. It's talking about adultery here. It says, For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. Now that sounds pretty good. Okay? But then it says in verse 4, But in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of Sheol. That's saying her, 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 her feet take hold of the grave. And some of you may have heard me give this illustration before, but this is how I see it. If you're ever tempted to cheat on your spouse or to commit adultery, you ought to see that other person morphing into a dragon with claws that has their claws clamped down on your coffin about to open it up for you. I don't know about you, but that's not tempting. I'm not saying, man, I'm really attracted to that person, amen? I'm saying, I'm saying, stay away. I mean, I'm looking at a dragon. I'm looking at a beast there. I'm not looking at something that is attractive to me. Because you begin to realize, and I heard one Christian counselor say, play the tape, okay? And that's kind of an old illustration. Maybe we'd say play the DVD or play the digital file, right? But, but what he was saying is, play it out. If I make this choice now, where's that going to end up for me? Well, here's another uh, illustration of it in Proverbs 7, verse 22. It says, suddenly he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. Okay, there's a break, isn't there? There's, there's a point where we're presented with temptation and we say, okay, I'm going to give in. Okay, at that point, you, you kind of get the picture in this passage that, okay, now just go ahead and tie the noose around my neck and go ahead and pull me over to the slaughterhouse. I'm just a big piece of livestock that's just kind of too dumb to make the right decision. And here I am, and I'm about to get my head chopped off. Okay, that's the decision I've made. Until an arrow pierces through his liver as a bird hastens to the snare. Do birds hasten to snares? Do birds say, let me find that trap. Let me hurry up and find that trap. So he does not know this, this verse. Friend, listen, this verse has rung in my ears for years. It'll protect you. So he does not know that it will cost him his life. What did those secret sins do to us? They destroy. Sin is serious. It is a big deal. Say, okay, Pastor Robbie, I know sin's serious, but I'm not so sure this thing I'm doing is so serious. 
All right, well, unless you and I personally talk about what you're struggling with, I'm not going to go down through a list of things and say, well, here's what the Bible says about that. But here's what I would just say to you. You go before the Lord and you ask God to show you in His Word, what does He say about this thing, okay? First of all, the very fact that you have put it in the category of secret sin says you have some question about it, right? Right? Amen? Okay. So I go to God's Word and I say, God, what do you say? Let the chips fall where they may, for good or for bad. What do you say about this? That's really all I need to know. If God says that I'm completely free to participate in some activity, then I'm completely free to participate in some activity. If God says that something is not good for my life, is not His path for my life, then I just need to own up to the fact that even though I don't think this is so wrong, if God says it's wrong, it goes back to the Adam and Eve thing, right? Here they are looking at that fruit saying it doesn't look that bad. It doesn't matter. God said it will kill you. So I have to trust the Lord. The next excuse was, well, everybody else is doing it. Okay, now I'm going to go your mama on you on this one. Okay, you ready? If everybody else is jumping off a cliff. Right? Okay, it, it is kind of true though, isn't it? Instead of accepting, listen, instead of accepting the bad fate that everybody else is accepting, why don't you receive God's rescue for you and then get back in there and say, hey everybody, the bridge is out. Amen? In fact, I heard somebody say something very insightful, very perceptive the other day. They said, if we are going to, listen, you want a better life tonight? God is calling you, friend. Listen, some of you, the enemy is going to say, this is guilt, this is shame, this is, you feel bad night. That is not true. That is not from the Lord. Okay? The Bible says in John chapter 8, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, friend. No more living in secrecy. No more living in guilt and condemnation and worry and fear and frustration. Somebody said to me the other day, said, you know what, if we're going to live like everybody else we're going to get what everybody else is getting. Look around. Do you want the life that most other people are living that you see? So why would we want to pattern our lives after the world? Why wouldn't we trust that there must be a better way? And I bet it's God's way, amen? The next excuse is, well, my choice is not hurting anybody else. Nobody else even knows about it. Well, let's think about that not hurting anyone else. Let's talk about pornography for just a minute. Do you know that pornography is one of the biggest secret sins in the world? It's one of the biggest secret sins in America. It's one of the biggest secret sins among God's people. It's one of the biggest secret sins in this room tonight. Pornography. Friend, I just want to challenge you to think about that for just a minute. Because isn't that the temptation that the enemy gives to me? Is that, you know what? Well, at least I'm not out hurting someone else or doing something actually physically, uh, getting myself involved. And so we rationalize in that way. But friend, I just want to challenge you to think about this for just a moment. Have you thought about the fact that you are disrespecting someone else? Even if you don't know that person, even if you never talk to that person... 
And, and you would never think of grabbing someone in an alley somewhere and taking advantage of them. Why would you take advantage of that person on your computer screen? Have you ever considered that that's somebody's daughter? Have you ever considered that that one day is going to be someone's husband? And I don't have the right to have that relationship with them. And I want to give you some verses that, that really help me as I think about this. I remember reading this a few years ago, and it really just helped me to kind of... See, it's good to have verses in our mind so we can have that picture and God can place a guard on our heart. Amen? Okay, so write down 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 through 8. Now listen, all of us, I'm, I'm assuming in this room, want to know God's will for our life, Right? Okay, here's a verse that says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. God wants you and I to be special. That is, namely, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Friend, God is calling His people out of living like the rest of the world. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And there's different interpretations of what he's talking about vessel there. I think he's talking about our body. Okay? I think, it, I think that's, that's pretty clear there. That each of you know how to possess his own, if that's correct, his own body in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion, not in uncontrolled, just kind of doing whatever like the Gentiles, like the nations who do not know God. We want to live different. Amen? We've been given a different way of living by the Lord. And that, listen, this is, <clears throat> this is the key for me, that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we told you before and solemnly warned you. Now, here's the picture. When we are involved sexually in sexual intimacy with someone else besides the picture that God's given in marriage, of a man and a woman in the committed relationship of marriage, when we are involved with someone outside of that context, you ought to see yourself as stepping across a boundary line. Okay? Now, I like to hunt. I like to fish. All right? But whenever I've been out in the woods and I wasn't sure, oh my goodness, I think I just crossed over on somebody else's line, I get scared. I get nervous. Because I don't want to get shot. Amen? And, and I don't, I I'm not supposed to be here. That's the feeling that we ought to have. This is not my place to go. I don't have the right to be here. I should feel a sense of, I've, I've, I've made a violation here. Okay? And I don't think many people have ever heard that before. We're stepping across a place that God says we don't have a right to be. And eventually, that's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt your family. It's going to hurt your wife, your husband, your kids. Now, let's think about that nobody else knows part. Because isn't, isn't that another temptation the enemy gives us? Nobody else knows. What's it going to hurt anyway? Well, write down Proverbs 15, verse 3, because we're going to talk about that here more in just a moment. Probably more people know than you think. Does that scare you? I hope it does. Probably more than you think. No. But at some point, God is probably going to let you get caught. And he knows that that might be the only thing that will turn things around in your life. Maybe the embarrassment of other people finding out, or maybe the consequences, serious consequences. Let me give you a couple examples in my life that reminded me of this, of how small the world is, so you better live right. I was in Atlanta, Georgia airport. 
You say, well, that doesn't sound odd because you're from, you know, you sound like you're from somewhere else. Yeah, I, I came from Georgia, but I had, I'd been living in New York for about five or six years. I was on a trip with a, with a, with a couple of other pastors, and wherever we were going, we had to pass through Atlanta, Georgia Airport. Atlanta Airport is the busiest airport in the world, okay? Me and these other pastors, we were standing there laughing and joking and having a good time together, and I turned around, I am not kidding you, and a member of our church was standing right behind me. Now, thankfully, I wasn't doing anything wrong. <laughs> okay. But what if I had been in a drinking party in a bar? Okay, another example. A few years ago, I was on an airplane again. And actually, I was flying out of Nashville. I had a meeting to go to in Nashville, Tennessee. I was flying out of Nashville back to Albany. I was flying from Nashville to somewhere else and then to Albany. Okay? So I wasn't even on a leg to Albany. And somebody here in our church family... Now, they weren't then, was sitting in front of me. I was witnessing to the guy next to me. I was telling him about the Lord. And after I got off the plane, the person in front of me said, Hey, you don't know me, but I know you. You're Pastor Robbie from New Hope Church. Just want to let you know that was an encouragement to me because I live a few miles away from where you live and from where your church is. And God's been speaking to my heart about sharing with other people. Okay, so that was a great story. And they actually ended up being part of our church family. But what if... Now, who thinks that you're going to be sitting on an airplane and somebody that lives 10 miles away from here is going to be sitting in front of you on a leg that's not even coming back to Albany? What if I had been flirting with another lady besides my wife? Because I can flirt with her. <laughs> Wouldn't that have been a bad thing? But I want to tell you, you might think that nobody else knows. But whenever you're tempted, write down Numbers 32, verse 23. The Bible says, and be sure your sin will find you out. Okay, so let's look at the third thing. How can we have victory over these secret sins? Friend, I want you to know something tonight. When you come to New Hope, or listen to me, it's not about guilt and condemnation and, oh, you're so bad and you're so messed up. Listen. You look to your left, you look to your right, you look in front of you, you sense the person kicking your chair with, your, with their knees behind you, okay? Every single person in this room is a sinner who needs a Savior. Every single one of us has problems. Every single one of us has secrets that we don't want anybody else to know, okay? All right, so this is not about shaming anyone, but it is about challenging you. Do you want more for your life? We trust God with your life. How can you have victory over these secret sins? I hope there's somebody here tonight that says, Pastor Robbie, I'm not going to make excuses. I, I truly believe God brought me here tonight. I need to change. I need this direction. I know this is hurting me. I know it's going to eventually hurt others if it's not already. I know God's got his finger on me. He's telling me tonight. Listen, friends, there were some things happened in my life years ago, and God was clearly speaking to me, Robbie, you better listen to me or it's going to hurt you. I thank God, finally I did. And tonight, maybe the Lord would say to you, Proverbs 29, verse 1, listen, there's a warning in the Bible. 
Proverbs 29.1 says, A man who hardens his neck after much reproof will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. I hope that scares you tonight. There is a point when it's too late. And if God's speaking to you tonight, would you listen to how you can have victory? Let me give you some steps to victory over secret sin. First of all, acknowledge what you're doing. Just admit it. You know, that's a difficult thing, isn't it? Because there are probably some people in this room right now, there's some things in your life that you're saying, well, it's not a big deal, or I, I haven't struggled with it that long, or all, oh, you know, other people, what are you doing? There we go again, justifying, rationalizing, whatever you want to call it. Listen, it doesn't matter what kind of recovery group you go to, but for sure the Bible affirms it to be true. The first step is what? We all know it, we've heard it. The first step is what? Confessing and admitting, I have what? A problem, I have sin. All of us can make excuses. It's just the way I am. Or, I had a rough childhood. Or, you know what? I got I to challenge you with something. Everybody has had a bad deal. And I don't mean that to lighten what you've been through. But I want to take some of what the enemy does. He says, you know what? You've had it rougher. You deserve this. You're entitled to this. You ought to at least have this enjoyment. That is not truth to you. Okay? God wants better for you than that. Here's what I think about that bad deal thing. If I've had a bad deal, then I want to be the last stop on that train. Amen? I'm not going to keep it going. I'm going to be the last stop on that train. And from this generation on, it's going to be different. Amen? Number two, you've got to admit it. Number two, you've got to determine to live for God's glory. I mentioned Proverbs 15, verse 3. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching over the evil and the good. One of the best things that you can do in your life is begin living your life in light of the fact that when nobody else is around, God always sees. That is so powerful. And so what what begins to happen is you begin to live your life the way you're going to live it, no matter who is around. That's called integrity, by the way. And some people think integrity is being a good person. No, integrity actually, literally, more precisely, integrity means being the same person no matter where you are. Okay? So when I begin to realize that God is watching me all the time, and I want to live my life in such a way that it doesn't matter if you see me sweeping the floors at the grocery store. If that is my job, and God has given it to me, I'm going to sweep them as good as anybody else. I don't care if the boss is here or not. Amen? When my computer is on, now we all need accountability and all kinds of checks and balances, but ultimately... Even when you're faced with the temptation, if you think to yourself, how could I do this great wickedness and sin against God like Joseph did in the Old Testament? That's going to really help you a lot. Write down Colossians 3, verses, uh, verse 17. And verses 23 through 24. Listen to these verses. Colossians 3, verse 17, it says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Then verse 23, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the word of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. And then 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31 says, whatever you do, 
do it all to the glory of God. You begin living your life for God's glory, it really helps to bring those things that seem like secrets. They're not really a secret to God, are they? Number three, accept that your actions are impacting others. I've shared with you guys before, now listen, this is powerful. If you will grab hold of this, the first greatest line of defense in my life is, I live my life before God. Amen? Probably the second greatest defense is that I live my life before you. And what I mean by that? Well, the Bible makes it very clear that I'm not living my life to be pleasing to you. That's not what I'm saying. But I am living my life in such a way that I will bring glory to God and call you into closer relationship with Him. Okay? So listen, friend. It will help you if you are teaching those little kids in Awana on Sunday nights. And you are tempted to take a drink and to get in a car. If you think to yourself... What would I say to those precious little children in my Awana class if I got a DUI and I was on the front page of the paper? That helps me. How about you? Because I might think, well, I don't care if I'm on the front page. If it's just me, I don't care if I'm on the front page of the paper. I don't care who knows I'm a jerk or I, I made a mistake or I don't care if I do this or I do that. But if I think about those little kids, it starts to bother me. Number three, bring it out to the light of day. The Bible, write down Ephesians 5, verses 11 through 13. The Bible says, expose things. Don't keep things in darkness. Okay, don't participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but even expose them was what Ephesians 5, verses 11 through 13. Now, what does that look like in real life? Let's just use one word, accountability. Nobody in this room is above accountability to someone else. Did you hear that? You say, yeah, I'm, I'm accountable to God. Well, yeah, but you talk, you talk yourself out of it between you and God. But your buddy, who's God's servant in your life, won't let you get away with it. Right? That's why we don't like it. But you need another person, or you need your growth group, or, 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 or you need your church family, or you need somebody somewhere that you can bring things out. That doesn't mean you have to air out all your dirty laundry, but somebody needs to know you and what you're dealing with. And then number five is rely upon God's grace. I want to be very careful tonight that you don't leave here saying, okay, man, tonight I got this thing that I'm dealing with in my life, and boy, I'm going to buck up, and I'm going to get serious, and I'm going to leave here, I'm going to be stronger, I'm committed to do this. Guess what? You can't do it. You cannot do it. Tonight, would you say, Jesus, I admit that I have a problem and I can't change it. But I know you can, God. Would you please come into my life and pour your amazing grace upon me? And Jesus, would you begin changing my life and would you begin giving me the strength to have victory over this sin in my life? I don't mean to be pessimistic or freaky or weird you out by making any predictions or anything. But I can guarantee you tonight that someone right now 
there are people in this room who are doing things like we've talked about tonight. And I want to be very careful that if that is you, that you don't say to yourself, okay, so that means I'm not good enough. I can't be a part. That's not, that's the enemy. What God is doing is calling you to victory in your life. If you'll trust him. If you're that husband that's cheating on your wife, if you're that person that's struggling with pornography, if you're that employee that is taking money from the boss or stealing on your taxes or whatever it might be, but tonight you say, God, I'm tired of hiding whatever you need to do, bringing it out to the light. Would you take my mess and give me your grace? Would you trust him tonight, friends? Hey, listen. If Jesus can't help us with real stuff like this, what kind of Savior is He? Okay, we want to be a place of real life. Not just nice, pretty, look good on the weekends. Would you let God do business in your heart tonight? I want to ask you to bow your head and your heart with me right now. Now, I shared with you at the beginning what we're going to talk about in this series are some of the hardest things for us to turn over to God. Somebody here tonight says, boy, yeah, that's true. This is one of my biggest. Friend, can I cast a little vision for you tonight? If you will let Jesus have control of this area of your life, there is no telling what else he might do with the rest of your life. But you're going to have to trust him and his word and not the enemy in his word. Because he'll lie to you. But God wants to give you victory tonight. Tonight, would you just come to him? Are you a believer tonight? Would you say, Jesus, God, you know I love you. Lord, you know I've given my life to you and I want to follow you, but I have sinned. I have messed up so bad. I have messed up so bad. I don't even know how to get back home, God. Kind of reminds me of a story in the Bible about a prodigal son. Found himself in a mess in a pig pen. But his father was looking down the road, ready for him to come back home. If you're a child of God here tonight and God is calling you back home, would you receive that call? Would you say, dear Lord Jesus, I hear you speaking to me tonight. And I need you to help me. God, I need you to give me the strength to begin to take that first step. God, I don't see the way out of this. I need you to give me hope tonight. He's a real God, friend. He's not just to pretend, get together on the weekend and sing some songs and be religious. He is a real Savior. And He will come and rescue you. You will trust Him. Are you here tonight would say, I need you, Jesus, to be my Savior. I've never entrusted my life to you. God, I know I can't have victory over this area of my life because every part of my life needs you and I've never given you my heart. But tonight I ask you to come into my life and to wash my sins away.
this thing that is, has such a hold on my life, and Lord, everything that I've done against you, please forgive me. God, I don't know how you're going to do it, but would you give me victory? Would you, would you set me on the path of real life, of eternal life?